and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace, Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre here with me as well. We have great news for you to lead things off. Rachel from Friends is now older than Wilford Brimley was when he filmed Cocoon. Happy Thursday. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can also like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And don't forget, if you're looking for free stuff, clips from the show to sample and share, youtube.com slash Steve Dace is how you can do that. Coming up here on a Thursday at the bottom of the hour, we've got three non-political questions. We're going to kind of kick back and ease up because next hour's Theology Thursday is going to be some serious theology. And it, it, may, it may require us to even get a little bit more um, nerdier, theo-nerdier than Theology Thursday already implies will occur, all right? So if you are a an absolute theo-nerd, this week's Theology Thursday is, is, is going to be for you, all right? But before we get to all of that, here's an update and a rundown from Aaron about what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by an amorphous hodgepodge of insanity. But that's not really any different from any other day, is it? We'll start out west, shall we? A couple of bills making their way through the legislatures and some mountain states are turning heads this week. First, a committee in Colorado's General Assembly put the kibosh on a bill that would mandate medical care for babies who survive abortion. The bill would have fined doctors $100,000 if they did not provide medical care to babies born alive after an attempted abortion. Secondly, in Utah, a Senate committee in that state unanimously approved a bill that would decriminalize polygamy. Out east, a Pennsylvania elementary school girl with Down syndrome had the police called on her by her teacher after she made a finger gun in the classroom. Administrators at the school questioned the girl after they determined that her actions appeared threatening. A student at the University of Virginia made this announcement to students in the Multicultural Center on campus. Public service announcement. Excuse me. If y'all didn't know, this is the MSC. And frankly, there's just too many white people in here. And this is a space for people of color. So just be really cognizant of the space that you're taking up because it does make some of us POCs uncomfortable when we see too many white people in here. It's only been open for four days. And frankly, there's the whole university for a lot of y'all to be at. And there's very few spaces for us. So keep that in mind. Thank you. Congresswoman Ayanna Presley said this. The year is now 2020 and here we women are still in so many ways, not fully free, still shackled. In addition to pay discrimination, we face pregnancy discrimination, discrimination in the criminal legal system, sexual and domestic violence, and inadequate health care access. Noted anti-Semite Linda Sarsour is back out there saying stuff. Palestine is is a human rights and social justice issue. It is an American issue because your taxpayer dollars are used. You gotta choose the side of the oppressed. 
And if you're on the side of the oppressor, or you're defending the oppressor, or you're actually trying to humanize the oppressor, then that's a problem, sisters and brothers. And we got to be able to say that is not the position of the Muslim American community. NBA superstar Dwayne Wade made this announcement regarding his son. So when I when our child comes home with a question, when our child comes home with an issue, when our child comes home with anything, it's our job as parents to listen to that, to give them the best information that we can, the best feedback that we can. Um, and that doesn't change because sexuality is now involved in it. So once Zaya, 12-year-old, came home, um, and first Zion, everybody, I don't know if everyone knows, originally named Zion, Zion born um, as a boy, came home and said, hey, uh, so I want to talk to you guys. Um, you know, I think going forward, I'm ready to live my truth. And I want to be uh, referenced as she and her. Uh, I would love for you guys to call me Zaya. Taking a ride in the Wayback Machine, we'll find Amy Klobuchar, border security hawk. These clips are from 2006. I do believe that we need more resources at the border and that that includes offense. We need to get order at the border. But we also have to stop giving amnesty to companies that are hiring illegal immigrants. And finally, Australian Sky News host Andrew Bolt had this exchange with a climate alarmist. And if we can win, and if we can win mass democratic for them, tens of millions of people have died and you haven't noticed. Where has your economic model ever worked? And that's what happened while we were away. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love it. Uh, let's uh, let's make sure we let you know that Aaron's montage is brought to you by my pet caps new obsession, Rough Greens Vita Smart. Did you know that a lot of the the dog food that we're serving today is dead, just like the food we are serving ourselves? Why? Same exact reason. Um, we want a longer sell, uh, shelf life, and for mass consumption at the exact same time, which requires a lot of the living organisms inside the food to be stripped out. The enzymes, the healthy microbacteria, the vitamins, the nutrients, uh, the probiotics. A lot of those are gone from our foods. That's why we're buying so many supplements to put back into our bodies, which is being taken out of our food. Same thing is happening to our pets. And that's where Rough Greens VitaSmart comes in. Not only, now it's not a dog food. This is a supplement for your dog food. And not only is it loaded with all those good and healthy things, but apparently it is absolutely delish because my dog inhales this stuff every single day. So if you want to look, want to know what it looks like when your dog becomes obsessed with a product and one that is good for them as well, check out Rough Greens Vita Smart. And here's how roughgreens.com, R U F F is how they spell it. Roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's roughgreens.com slash blaze or give them a call at 833 693 6433. <clears throat> Pardon me. Again, that's 833-693-6433. So I want to play a game with Aaron's montage this morning, okay? And and I want I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you guys the same question about every about several of the issues that Aaron has raised in his montage. Because I, I want us to have a we've done a ton of because of New Hampshire and Iowa, we have done a ton of policy or political wonk stuff the last couple of weeks. Unavoidable. It's been number one on the on the issue 
uh, spectrum. And it, it's it, we warn the audience at the beginning of the year. Some of you will love it. Some of you won't. But this is a Super Bowl level event in this line of work. And so we're going to have to get wonkier with uh, politics in 2020 than we probably have the last few years. Okay. But let's do a bit of a worldview reset and and set the wonkiness aside for the next few minutes. You guys game for that? Yeah, sure. I, I would like us to go through several of these applications and manifestations of a what I would call a pagan or leftist or progressive worldview, but I repeat myself, okay? Um and and I would like for you guys to ex- for for you guys to help our audience and I'll I'll chip into if you'd like. But what are they thinking? Not not what what reality says or how we would respond. But in their conscience when they say and do these things, where do they think they are consciously coming from? And I think it's important for us to do this because we're also talking about people that are made in the image of God, but these are ideologies and worldviews that we need to oppose. But such as once were some of us, how do we win over hearts and minds? I, I know this is not popular in my line of work, but it doesn't make it less true. We are about to lose the generational battle. And... I think that the old model of, and we've talked about this for years, we just, you know, turn out the quote unquote <clears throat> silent majority. We're, you know, these, this election in the last one, we probably, we probably bled all the blood. We're going to bleed all the blood that's left in that turnip. And, and we've got to start now winning people over. We got to, we got to, we got to add to our ranks. And the premise that these people are beginning from, goes a long way towards determining, I think, whether or not they're winnable. Um, and so that's why I want us to look at several of the issues that Aaron highlighted today from the perspective of the people that are saying and doing things we would find either insane or morally reprehensible. Where are they coming from? You guys game to do this? Yeah, let's go. All right. Let's t- take it from the top in Colorado. Tell me what you guys think. And, and, and it, we don't have to make everybody one composite. It could be a couple of different variations of people. All right. Tell me what the person in the legislature who voted against, because by the way, folks, before you, you're abhorred by this, which you should be, we just had a guy in the White House for eight years that when he was in the Illinois state legislature voted exactly like this for a similar bill. He voted against the Infant Born Alive Act in the state of Illinois, Barack Obama did. Same bill that was in Colorado yesterday. Mandate medical care for babies who survive abortion. All right? So what, what is the reasoning? You, that if, we, if we were given, granted access to their conscience, what do you think it would, it would reveal about the people in Colorado state legislature yesterday who voted to go ahead and kill live-born children. What, what do you think it would re, it would reveal? That they think. Todd, I'll start with you. 
First of all, I saw a headline. Is this was it mostly a party line vote? Do you have any idea? I don't know. I saw the a headline that said. That's Demo- why I didn't. Yes, I didn't break down the I, the party. Plus, it's Colorado, and half the Republicans are nuts yeah. there anyway. So, I think the party line vote's almost irrelevant. But right. go ahead. Is that what you're factoring in? That I feel like I have to do this for my political party? Is that? Is it, well, that, I wanted to know. Okay. If it, it, okay. So it, it, it's pretty much party line vote. The the if it's mostly Democrats, it's. It's simply that this is this is a religion at the cultish le- most cultish of levels. I mean, we are dealing with human sacrifice here. And if you start to ask questions and take your foot on the gas, the the, the certainty of the death that's involved with this is much more palatable to the people involved than where this all goes if they have to start asking questions of what it means i i, I think it's that macabre i i i think this is uh autonomy do you believe they're so sold out to this principally that they their conscience in your view refuses to entertain any limits or extent to which they would ultimately take this premise because it challenges the premise well, itself yeah they, and they're sold out they know it's when you're t- talking all the way to full term, we're, we are way outside of, you know, clumps of cells. That's, mm-hmm. You know, you could, like, understand. Yeah, like an unviable tissue yeah. mass is not going to survive an abortion, for example. You can understand how people will embrace things, rationalize things, go to a place that seems safe enough. I, I, we, we disagree with that, but... I, I get how you can park yourself there. You My can, daughter missed her period. Yeah, yeah. She she had she spent the night at, with her boyfriend at a hotel room on prom night. Yes. She missed her period yes. and and she's a month or two along and she wants to go to college. That that yes. line of reasoning is what you're talking so, about. But you okay. can't do that here. You mm-hmm. ob- you know something grisly is going on and you really just have to you just have to hug it. You just it's yeah, I know, but this is this is Steve, this is the price of freedom. Where have you heard that before? Mm. In other words, when you're in a line of Israelites getting ready to cast your babies into the fire to Chemosh, and you're like 3,408th in line, right? Okay? So you, the, like the whole Valley of Ben-Hinnom, yeah. you're all in line, and you're like at the end of the line, okay? You don't bother to ask yourself when you're there telling your kid, your baby who's crying that you're about to, or your toddler, or if you know, who knows what you might be your oldest, who knows, but you're not, you're trying to comfort your kid when you were, when you're knowingly about to commit just an, an insanely vile act. You don't bother to ask yourself, you know, man, I'm way back here in the line. Exactly. How many children does Chimosh need? You know, is that kind of what you're, you're just, well, yeah, but you just mind numbingly wait for your number to be called. And, and you know what? All right, my turn. Here's my kid. You just mind-numbingly but go with the flow. there's also safety. Yeah, but that last part is, there's as weird as it increasingly keeps getting, there's still safety in that line. If suddenly you step out of line, <laughs> right, you right. see what happens in this culture. They will turn on you and throw They'll you in the fire. They'll cast you into fi- the yeah. fire to Chimosh next. Yeah, make an example out of you. Okay. Aaron, what do you think? I think if there's just one gram of, of conscience left in the people behind and, and, and who vote in, um, in, in fa- or against this measure, this born alive uh, measure, I think if there's a gram of conscience left, it's probably going to be along the lines of, well, 
I think the greatest sin of the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents that have no chance in the world to be human, practically delinquent, mm -hmm. prisoners, all sorts of things just marked when they're born. That's the greatest sin. I think that's probably— Thank you, Mrs. Sanger. Yes, that's, that's probably what they're thinking. Very, very— very uh, cold-hearted pragmatism. Now, as Todd noted, though, increasingly those objections that sound kind of fuzzy, warm and fuzzy, as, as those are stripped away and you're left with zero grams of conscience left, all that we're going towards right now in this culture, so far gone, I just want a body count. Kill the kids. I, I just want a body count. Because we're going towards that. Because we have, we have won the debate and now we're forcing them to say, yes, that kid, we know it's a kid, kill it anyway. Remember what Aaron said yesterday, and I've commented on before, it's the hatred of the other. As bad as this is, at least I'm not a Republican. Or mm. whatever. That's in there too. I think it also, if if I could turn this around now from our own worldview perspective, if, if the idea that we can incrementally accept the premise of, of the abortion industry and incrementally end this, Tell me if they're not going to protect children after they're born alive, what, what re, quote, reasonable measure, what, quote, reasonable um, restriction would they vote for then? If, if, if they're willing to say, oh, we will kill the child that's live birth that we can actually see, touch, and feel, tell me, tell me then what incremental measure you believe they would go for for the child that they cannot is still in the womb. Do you know the answer to that? I'll, I'll answer it for you. None. It's none is the answer. That's that's the answer. So we've been negotiating against ourselves for the last on on these sorts of bills for the last uh, forty seven years now, and that's why the killing continues. All right, let let's. Um, I'm not going to ask you about the situation with Utah decriminalizing polygamy, because the reality is it's it's a logical thing to do. There 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 isn't a world. There's really not a worldview issue here. If you're allowing, if you're if you're sitting in the state of Utah or any of the other 40 or 50 states and you're permitting two dudes or you're permitting a dad uh, to get married to his son because they're now attracted to each other. Um, and, and they don't, and, and I mean, right. I mean, if, if by what measure would you possibly restrict this? I, I, I cannot think logically of one. I, I, there, there isn't one. Similar to, um, you know, the legalization of porn is essentially you're saying you're for you're, by what measure would you not then want prostitution legalized? They're the same. The difference is somebody busted out a camera. So if if I grab a woman on the street corner and and then in the in the in the middle of it the cop rolls up on me uh, in the middle of the act in my car, but I bust out my camera phone and start filming it, and she says, "Hey, he's paying me for this, and it's art." I can't get arrested, right? Right. right. That, I mean, that's the same thing, right? right? Okay. Because if we're if if uh, it, the only difference is there's a camera depicting the event. So, uh, but it's it's still strictly transactional. Everything else that is still taking place in prostitution is taking place in the pornography industry. It's just that there's a camera present with, and there's an incorporated being um, that that's called a, a, a production company instead of a pimp. But it's exactly everything else is the same. Can I just make one comment on this? Yes, real quick. Uh, let's see, Politico, June thirtieth, twenty fifteen. No polygamy is not the next gay marriage. Uh, let's see, Chicago Tribune, July 1st, 2015, from gay marriage to polygamy. 
Uh, let's see. Time Magazine, June 30th, 2015. Same-sex marriage. Polygamy is not next. Uh, JSTOR. <laughs> uh, this is from, I don't know what year, but it's an academic journal. Uh, polygamy as a red herring in the same-sex marriage debate. Uh, shall I go on? No, I think that's perfect. And it's it. That's well done by you. And it's why I've told you guys for years, if you're a listener and viewer to the show, the reason leftists and pagans hate slippery slope arguments is they're the only undefeated argument in all of human history because we've been on a slippery slope since Genesis 3. All right. This thing we call creation humanity has been on a slippery slope since Genesis 3, like 10 minutes into this thing. Okay. Like since 10 minutes in. All right. We've been on a slippery slope and that's why slippery slope arguments never fail. They always win. They're undefeated all through time and memoriam. And that's why the people that want to push against norms hate them and want them banished and call them infantile because they can't beat them. All right. And it goes back to the piece that I wrote for USA Today when I was still a columnist there right after the first gay marriage ruling. And I went after the court and gay. I went after the rainbow jihad for being for uh, being haters and bigots. I mean, why, what's, why are you denying my multiple marriage? Not to mention there's a far longer if we if I mean, if we're if, if we want to be historically accurate about it, there is a far longer and um, distinctive history of polygamy. Um, throughout human history and even throughout uh, Judeo-Christian history. The the, the church has never argued about, um, you know, whether to to mainstream homosexuality until like 20 years ago, like never in 2000 years, like the Greek or the Greek Orthodox church wanted to burn Rome to the ground and Rome wanted, wanted to help the Muslim sack Constantinople. Okay. The Protestants wanted to fry Mary queen of Scots. She wanted to behead them and they never disagreed though about homosexuality. Keep that in mind. All right. They've killed each other over when, over when is Christmas or should we have it? They killed each other over when is Easter. And should we have it? They killed each other over which calendar to use. Okay? Straight up, folks. They did. But they, they totally agreed that, you know, um, what an Indian and Audi is. They never could, de- they never, this is not, and by the way, it's not a debate in the church anywhere else in the world except here in the Western Hemisphere. Nowhere else in the world is this a debate in the, in the church except in the Western Hemisphere and only in the last couple of decades. But do you know what has been debated and is still being debated? In some places, polygamy is an institution that has a long-standing, uh, long-standing history. All right, David, Solomon, Abraham. So, I mean, to me, I I, I think if, if you're going to loosen the if we're, if we're going to loosen the bonds on that, I mean, if I'm a polygamist, I think I got a raw deal. I mean, at least I mean I've I've actually contributed something to church history. Uh, for the, you know, in the last 2000 years, I should have gotten my, uh, you know, marriage with exceptions of ruling. I should have gotten mine first. I should have gotten my virtue signaling first. So there is no rational reason to oppose this. There isn't. So there's no point in figuring out what the other side of the viewpoint of this one is, because this is actually the logical extension of a viewpoint that is actually expressed by a lot of people, quote unquote, on our own side nowadays. Anyway, so I don't I don't have a there's no rationale to debate this. So let's move on. You are working in a Pennsylvania elementary school and a young woman with Down syndrome makes a finger gun at you and you call the 5-0 in. What are you thinking, Aaron? 
what 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 it what happened in your conscience that made you think this requires somebody to call nine one one? I have nothing for this one. I, I unless you are so far gone in your conscience that you are looking for any anything in order to involve yourself in the issue of uh, of uh, you know gun uh, gun violence, as it were. Unless you're just looking for any excuse to embed yourself into a story, I don't know in what universe. Take away, I mean, take away the fact that this young girl, this elementary school girl, you know, had downs. Take take that away, and any kid uh, in ele- elementary school um, makes a finger gun. This, uh, I don't know what you're thinking. I, I really don't. And then, and then on top of that, not only calling the five zero on on this uh, young girl with Down syndrome, administrators also backed her up and questioned the girl about this. I just don't. I don't get I don't get how you can be that far gone, but apparently it's possible. There's one of two things going on here. Okay. I, I've met people that seemingly are reasonable, but when it comes to the issue of guns, they say if a, a police officer like comes into a coffee shop where they're there and they see the gun, they just get all nervous. It's a trigger warning. It's just yeah, it is a, yeah, see? Pun. Yeah. Pun, bad, a bad pun. Are they they're tri- triggered. They are. Okay. Right. So it could be that, but also, and it happens a lot in educational circles, th- forget conscience, period. They, they are utter apparatchiks in terms of, hey, we have a no-tolerance policy. And they, they can't think through. They don't want to think through. They just want to, and it's that line we talked about, throwing kids into the pit. Of, mm-hmm. it, I just need to stay in line, and this is part of it. Um, and we, they've been so worked over about, you know, pop psychology that's in the schools and things like that. Hey, I saw a gun and, and just got to put it in the system and process it. So it might even not even be like conscience in the level. we th- it, it might be the absence of conscience altogether. Just I'm a rule. I'm a rule follower. I love the use of the term apparatchik. You know, a few years ago, I just endeavored on my own to bring agate prop back. Make ag, make ag, just to bring sexy back with agate prop. I'm going to do that this year with Apparatchik, especially with a Soviet likely to be the Democratic exactly. nominee for president. That's say uh, that that was well played. So this is just simply as I just a gun makes me lose my damn mind. Basically, uh, yeah. that, that 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 just okay. Um, even a finger gun, even any a- any manifestation of weaponry whatsoever causes me to lose my mind. Right. Exactly. Okay. So the University of Virginia student who is warning the white folks that have come to their multicultural center that they're, t- they're, they're taking up too much room and, and they get to dominate every place else on campus. And this is just for, um, uh, for the colored people. I think that was the acronym yeah, she used, right? Them POCs. To get out. People of color. Thank you. People yeah. of color POCs. is what I meant. Okay. P- POCs, people of color. Um, because that's not dehumanizing, referring yeah. to yourself as initials, like that random. <laughs> I'm POC number one, five, yes. five, six. <laughs> yeah. So I'll go to you first on this one, Todd. Well, what's going I on in her mind that made her think? Because I remember when I was my first, the first thing of political activism I saw at, when I was at, at a major university, when I was at Michigan State University is because I couldn't get into Michigan, um, is there was a uh, candlelight vigil, take back the night, 
and it was a feminist group that was holding it and it was about uh, speaking out against a, you know, rape culture on campus, but they banned men. And I was like, this didn't make any sense to me because who's doing most of the raping? I would guess who the men. Man. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I would think you'd want to get all the male support yeah. for banning of, uh, you know, for rape bad you could possibly get, but no, they, you, they didn't want any men showing up at the actual, at the actual rally. This strikes me of a similar vein. Yeah. I would think the white people are who you'd want there in the front row, of right? Course. The message is for them. Of course. But progressivism ultimately depends on infantilizing people for as long as possible. <laughs> it does. And an emotional level. And you know that by what you see. It's it, when she's done saying it, when she sits down yeah. with yeah, that grin on her face. Listen, we all have been... This is a very human. I thing. emoted, therefore I am. Well, but I, yes. Remember when you were young, and we, I, I, you don't even know the specifics of why it happened, but you're old enough now that you did something, and you took joy in the suffering of others. We've all done it. Sure. It's our sin nature coming yep. through. Yep. That and this is why it in in the Catholic Church, the second grade, that that age of of reason, uh, that when we have communion at that age, you can start to discern right from wrong. We've all done that. It, we've adults do it all the time she's one of them that's an infantilized enjoyment of making other people suffer and it's done at this highbrow college level with whatever the intersectionality du jour is but that's all, all she's in doing is enjoying messing with people and making them feel bad that's it yeah and that's the reason why I let that video play out to the end to see her face I'll just say this from Titania McGrath uh, talking about this this morning uh, Martin Luther King dreamed of a future in which the population would be strictly segregated according to skin color. In order to overcome racism, we need to make that dream a reality. Well played. Well, from one of my absolute favorite Twitter accounts. We'll come back. Three non-political questions. You guys did a good job Look, staring into the mouth of madness. Stay tuned. Okay, reality check. How's that New Year's resolution going to eat right and lose weight? Well, if you're struggling, we may have a reason or a helpmate for that resolve. And it's called Riduzone, developed by doctors and backed by two U.S. patents. Riduzone is the only FDA-accepted product that includes OEA. That's the naturally occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster and burns stored fat while reducing your calorie intake at the same time. And Riduzone makes it easier to resist those cravings that ruin your resolution because dieting alone is just too hard. Exercise is important, but you can't out-train a bad diet, Okay. It's those portion sizes and cravings. That's what you got to get under control. Riduzone can help. And right now, if you go to riduzone.com, that's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for riduzone.com. If you go there, you'll save up to 65% off, up to 65% off and get free shipping. That's a heck of a deal. Take advantage of it. If you use promo code Steve, though, that's the only way. Got to use promo code Steve at riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, riduzone.com, promo code Steve. It is time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. 
some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, after staring into the mouth of madness, that was that hodgepodge of insanity in the first segment of the show. It's time to come... Start taking some steps back towards reality. It's three non-political questions. Question number one, if you could be given another talent or ability, what would that be? Or what would you want it to be? And uh, based on that, have you ever tried to perfect that ability, like in earnest? If I could be given another talent and ability, what would that be? Um, World-class golfer. And I've never actually golfed real golfed other than mini golf in my life. And what I've never done it. I've just never done it. Um, I I don't count going to a driving range as golfing, but I've never golfed on a course. I I've covered it when I was a sports writer at the Des Moines register. I covered it. Um, uh, I mean, I'm it's the game's five years old. I still play Rory McIlroy's golf. I actually just uh, busted it out last night when everybody went to bed, but I've never gotten into it. And here's why my competitive nature. I, I, I won't be able to just leisurely or casually do it. And I've, I've got like, it's, it's reserved on my calendar when we become empty nesters, because this is the kind of thing that when I, when I decide I want to, I want to play, I will, I will obsess about it. Like I can't just kind of do it a couple times a year and I will want to have to get some modicum of respectability doing it. And it's, you know, it's a sport that uh, I've covered and followed uh, over the years. And I know it's one that requires um, a lot of repetition in order to get that sort of precision. And so that's why I've never done it. But that's the talent and skill I would choose because those guys make an obscene amount of money. It, it takes, um, and, and I love the calendar. Either that or a professional tennis player. I love tennis. I played it a lot uh, growing up in high school and, and in college for fun. Um, but I would choose one of those two sports because I, they, they can you can make huge money um, and you get essentially the autumn off. I mean, I, 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 I w- it would not interfere with football season like whatsoever, right? The U.S. Open finishes Labor Day weekend and... and uh, in, in tennis, uh, now that they've changed the calendar, which I thought was a smart thing to do in golf when they moved the PGA Championship to May rather than in August when nobody paid attention to it. And so now you've got the Masters in April, the PGA Championship in May, the U.S. Open in June, and and I'm still going to call it the British Open in July. I mean, now with golf, man, you're done. Who cares about the FedEx Cup? You're done like when training camps are opening. I, I mean, you still have the entire football season to enjoy as a fan if you want. So it would be for me, professional golfer or tennis player. I heard nothing you said after you said, I've never golfed. You've never golfed nine holes. I've never done it. No, I never have. Not when you were like in college. Just I never did. Off nine. Not all now the- you can kind of keep in mind though. I mean, and I played a lot of, you know, baseball growing up and then, you know, tennis. And then, I mean, I played basketball year round. So there also wasn't a lot of time for me to do that with those with those things going on. That's remarkable. Uh, I would choose uh, carpentry uh, and, and 
plumbing and electrician and all that, you know, build, being able to build the stuff you need to do to build your own house. I am, my father-in-law actually put himself through chiropractic school, school doing that. So like I've gotten over all the house projects that need to be done in my house. We just look to him and he does it, but like I'm, I'm, Probably to Aaron's second point of his question, I'm too like lazy now to teach myself. Maybe uh, as an empty nester, maybe I'll do it. I, I'm even doubtful of that, but I'm very envious of it. I wish I could do it. Well, good thing is, as a professional golfer, tennis player, I've got plenty of money to hire people like you to do all that kind of stuff for me. So, <laughs> uh, I would say piano. I wish I could play the piano. That'd be that'd be cool. And and I kind kind of can, just not at a high level i took lessons for like a year and you know a funny thing happens when you don't practice as much as you should uh your teacher doesn't want to teach you any anymore it's funny how that works i know it's crazy uh but i wish i could play the piano because anything with with frets or keys it's it's so much more fun to play than violin and i i broke out the violin again this week because my wife has never heard me play so of course, I got to play for her. And I used to be really, really good at violin. It's not a fun instrument to play, guys. It's a terribly hard instrument to play. Zoe tried playing it a few years ago. It's ridiculous. It's, it's hard. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, but anything with frets. But it's re- rewarding once you get it down. But I tried playing some of the more advanced stuff that I used to be able to play. And it's, uh, let's just say, either my 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 violin has gone or my uh, my pitch has gone in my ear. And so piano would be fun to play. Question two, spring training, getting started up for baseball. Would you rather be, A, the most prolific hitter in the history of baseball, B, the most prolific pitcher in the history of baseball, or C, be on the most World Series winning teams in the history of baseball? I've always been the kind of guy I would rather, you know, um, I'd rather be on a championship team if it was up to me. Like, I... I can't imagine the frustration a guy like a Dan Fouts or I mean let's use an even I think better example a Carl Malone who's number 3 all time in the NBA but no championships. And that's what most people remember by the way. They they most people probably don't even know Carl Malone is number 3 all time in the NBA in scoring. They know him primarily as arguably the greatest player that never won a title. Imagine if you're Dan Marino, you get there your second year and you rewrite the the record books at a time where you could you could commit felonious acts against receivers and not get a flag. And he threw forty eight touchdown passes, right? And you're probably thinking, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna get here, you know, four, five, six more times. Never got back ever again, ever again. And I I gotta think that that when you're that great at something, that missing piece that you know, empty spot on the mantle just has to grate on you. So I I would rather be on a team that won a lot of championships. I've just always been the guy I'd rather have that ultimate success because that's also how my ego operates as a guy. Like I, I don't, you know, you guys, can we let, let's let the audience behind the scenes here a little bit to answer this question. You guys okay with it? Okay. We don't like, how many times if the, the, in the five years, five years now you guys have worked with me? It's been about five years now, hasn't it? About that long? I think I'm yeah. in my sixth. Okay. Thing. How many times have we like sat around and compared how many views and clicks does this video have compared to blank? Or 
How, how many times do we have that conversation compared to how many times am I, am, are we discussing whether or not what I, am, what I predict or analyzed is correct? What do you think the ratio to that is? Because I think it's probably like 10,000 to one, probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way my ego operates. I want to win the argument. You know, I, I, my ego operates not off of uh, popularity, not that I'll refuse it. Like, like if I could be on a championship team, like Michael Jordan and have all the records too, I wouldn't say no. Okay. But, but I would, I would rather be, um, although it seems maybe it's not a great analogy now because he's just lost his damn mind as a head coach, but frankly, I'd rather be Steve Kerr than Carmelo Anthony. I scored enough points and I got several rings. I'd, I'd rather be that guy than the guy that never won a playoff series and will be a top 10 all-time NBA scorer. And that's just the way my ego operates. So, hey, I won't turn down the clicks and the views. And if you guys want to vote me popular in conservative media surveys, I, I certainly won't say no, but I'm not gonna, I don't really follow that stuff and care about it. I'm far more interested in winning the actual argument than I am brand promotion. That's just the way I operate. And so I'd rather be on the winning team than, um, you know, uh, Dave Winfield. That's what I would rather be. Well, I. it's good that we're putting names of face. I, to me, this is the difference between would you rather be Ted Williams or Scott Brocious? Uh, I'll be Ted Williams. Uh, not, and baseball is... It, it, the, you got to think of it, it, it. The pastoral, it's why it's not as popular anymore, but it's the reasons why I love it, continue to love it, will always love it. That, that 162 games... Uh, it's it's not supposed to be warlike like football is. It's this it's this rhythm. It's this pacing. That's the beauty of it. And to, when the greatest of all hitters, there's a lyricism to it. There's a musicality to it. The the, the way that what they can do. So I, it's not because I I don't want to win, and it's not a matter of selfishness to but to be that good at a craft, at a level that even the other major leaguers around you, they don't understand, that's a special thing. I would I, I would rather either be uh, the pitcher or the hitter, but I like hitting better because I'm a millennial and I like offense. Um, I, I would rather be the most prolific hitter of all time rather than be on the most World Series winning teams because even though that's amazing and it's amazing accomplishment – those things start to run together. It's like, well, how many World Series? You know, it's just it's the same thing over and over again. Whereas, if I if I hit the most home runs, if I have the 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 most hits in the history of baseball, that's something that where were you when Aaron McIntyre hit? Uh, you know, uh, whatever home run number, you know, six hundred, yeah. three hundred thousand. You know, whatever. You get what I'm saying. So it's it is the novelty and the timelessness of being the greatest at one thing. And I think that probably stands out more than 10 World Series appearances or something along that nature. Uh, question number three. Well, we're talking appearances. We're talking championships, right? That was, sure. the, that was the question. You didn't ask me about appearances, okay? Champion, what, whatever. My point still remains. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I misspoke. Okay. okay. No, yeah. no, but that's important to my point. Because yeah. if we're just talking about making it there, well, then I'd rather be Ted Williams too, okay? But if you're going to give me, if I get a chance to have five championship rings, I'm, I would, I would, I would take the rings. I mean, would I, would I rather be Dan Marino or John Taylor? I, I'd rather be John Taylor. I'd, I'd rather win a bunch of Super Bowls. You're talking the 49ers wide yeah. receiver? Yeah, the second receiver for the 49ers, yeah. Okay, who was still a pretty good player, oh, yeah. made a couple of Pro Bowls. I'd rather be John Taylor. I mean, I can't imagine having it to be that great and have that elude you. 
Now, the, the Williams argument is a difficult one for me because that's, he's, that's not greatness. That's transcendence. Right? He, he is a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a transcendent figure. That's, Dan Reno is not a transcendent figure. Ted Williams is. That, that's, that, we get into transcendence now. That's a little bit. That, that, what I mean by that is that's other obviously great players bow the knee. That's a little bit. Now my ego, the male ego, may kick in a little bit more if you're going to play the Ted Williams card on me. Okay, see, but if we're talking greatness, greatness, then no, I, I I would rather be great at winning championships. You see, I never specified though. I don't know if this makes a difference. I never specified whether or not you were the pitcher or the second baseman. If you get my drift, sure. There, yeah, I get you uh, on a yep. World Series championship team. Yep. So interesting question. Uh, question number three. What one theological dilemma or question has most confounded you? And it doesn't have to still confound you. Something that maybe confounded you in the past. You want to take this one first? No. (laughs) Uh (laughs) All right, then I will go first. Uh, It's eschatology. And it's why I don't like talking about it, because I like certainties. All right. um, It's funny, when I, before I became converted, I loved... I loved to Gnostic the hell out of stuff. I liked reading about the Bermuda Triangle and the Kennedy assassin stuff that didn't have an answer. I was I was obsessed with it. You know, um, the Kennedy assassination, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was obsessed with all that the Loch Ness monster, UFOs. I was in all the occult stuff. I was obsessed with the idea that there, you know, that there weren't great answers to these things. Okay, and and post conversion now, I now crave certainty. Uh, and one of my real struggles with eschatology, it just happened in our Bible study class um, uh, last Tuesday, because we, we, we did Thessalonians, and that's one of the focuses of those two letters. And there were several things that I could have, because conversation is part of this class, there were several things that I could have taken issue with from the teacher's perspective. But the problem I had was, if he would have asked me to give him, then what is your alternative viewpoint? I, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I don't know what my alternative viewpoint is. I've got questions about my alternative viewpoint to the viewpoint of yours that I already question. Okay, so uh, for me, it, it's it's eschatology. It, it confounds me. It, it bothers me. There's there's not any one. I will say that the um, there's never. I'm a cradle Catholic, and certainly didn't live like a Catholic or a Christian. Uh, my entire life. But there was a point when faith was becoming um, the the capstone of, of my existence. And a lot of it had to do, I, I, I lived in Salt Lake City, Utah, and it was being around Mormons, and I, I was taking theology seriously, and I knew I disagreed with that, but I also respected it uh, immensely. In terms of, you go out there and you're living in uh, uh, Mormon Utah. It's you, you. It's it's something. You feel like you're in something that's unique, that's lived, and so that transformed my thinking. And so because it had that effect on me, you know, taking everything in from both Protestant and Catholic sources, it would it. Um, my, my Catholicism was very much in the dock at one point uh, uh, because I so many of the people that were important in my faith, both the reading but real life, were, were Protestants, uh, and so to 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 wrestle seriously with that was um, was was sobering, um, and 
you know, like Aaron's point about, you know, not wrestling with anymore. I don't. And we've talked about that on the show. It's very much like Steve says, you know, if I if I thought Catholicism uh, was the truth, uh, I'd be Catholic. Well, if if I thought uh, being evangelical was the truth, I that's exactly what I would be. We differ yet here we are and we do this show all the time. But it's it's the kind of thing that uh, with worldview, it'd be fascinating what the Catholic Protestant conversations would be in this day and age if we lived in a society where we weren't debating innies and outings anymore. Mm-hmm. Where would we go? Because we laugh sometimes. Would we, we we'd have would to, be killing each other over that again? We'd have to have those serious conversations yeah. again. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, and it's not really even from a f- philosophical or theological perspective, it's never really been that big of a dilemma, but it's, it, it's the old uh, adage of why does God allow good thing or bad things to happen to good people or good things to happen to bad people. And for those of you listening, I'm using air quotes around good and bad people. Uh, it's not so much the, the problem with that, because philosophically, like I said, it's easy uh, to solve. Theologically, of course, that's, you know, it has rational explanations. But when you're trying to comfort somebody who's been affected by something that doesn't make sense and that they don't deserve, again, air quotes, it's really difficult to do that because what what those situations require is total surrender and that runs contrary to human nature as well so that's always the thing i think that trips up the most uh, amount of people because when you're faced with that situation it's easy to talk about this academically but when you're faced Mm -hmm. with those situations that's when it becomes hard all right we are as a good segue to theology thursday which is next year with hour two live and on demand on blaze tv and podcast and radio stay tuned and we are back with hour two alive and on demand on blaze tv radio and podcast i am steve dace todd erzin and aaron mcintyre here with me as well if you do listen to us by the way via the podcast if we appreciate you every bit as much as uh, those that are tuning in live thank you for carving out some time to listen to us when it's convenient for you. We appreciate that. But please, we'd appreciate it even more if you'd consider leaving us a five-star review on the platform that you podcast from. All right. The more of those we get, the more the algorithms promote us and help us to find new people like you, which makes it more likely that we're going to get to continue doing this show and things like Theology Thursday for you. All right. Thank you to thousands of you uh, that have already done these for us. Please, if you like the show, five-star review wherever you podcast from. If, you, and if, you've, if you've already done one, you know, consider, I don't know, doing seven or eight more. I don't know if the algorithms count those, but I can think of one way to find out. All right. So uh, please consider doing that for us if you haven't done so already. Part one of Theology Thursday, because I think this conversation is going to probably take an entire hour. Part one of Theology Thursday brought to you by our friends over at Home Title Lock who want you to not turn out like Deborah. Her home was stolen. Not talking about thieves stealing the stuff in the home. The home itself was actually stolen from her. The FBI actually has a name for this. It's called Home Title Theft. It warns it's one of the fastest growing white collar crime waves in the country. And this story is why we protect our home with Home Title Lock. Stories like this and why we urge you to do the same thing. Criminals found... Deborah's title uh, online. They filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned the place instead. And then it gets even worse. Um, Deborah ended up getting evicted from her home. 
$85,000 of equity, Donzo, just gone. For a lot of Americans, that's that's a key part of their retirement. It's their emergency fund. It's um, it's their savings. And it's the biggest investment most Americans will ever make. And that is uh, the, the purchasing and owning of their own home. And Deborah had hers taken away because she didn't have home title lock. So if... If you want to make sure and find out first things first, has, has my home already been tampered with and targeted? Here's what you need to do. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim and you don't even know it yet. So do that first. And then sign up to help protect the legal title to your home so that you don't end up like Deborah. And just to get you started, uh, they'll offer you 60 risk-free days of protection. 60 risk-free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that is HomeTitleLock.com. So we're going to continue this series we started on Theology Thursday. And this has been, um, this is based off of what my wife and I are doing at our home church right now, which is we're taking a a New Testament class. And it's it's like a seminary level class. You get it now like seminary entry level class. (laughs) Similar like if you, uh, when you took like AP English in high school. You know, you can get like English 101 credit in college. You weren't going to get like a master's degree off of that, okay? But, it, you know, it, 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 it gave you a college-level course to get your feet wet, see what you were really get yourself into. And that's what this class is from a, from a Bible study perspective. It's, a, it's New Testament 101 in a seminary. If you went to seminary, you could, you could get accredited that you've already taken this level and move on from there. And part of, of this every week is we have to write a paper. And um, uh, there's a choice. You're always given the option of of, of writing about something that you choose, uh, you know, to, to focus on, or you can write one of the questions that are chosen for you. And this week, I wrote one of the questions that was chosen for me. I think it's the we started this two weeks ago. Is this the first time that I think the first two I yeah I, I decided to you know kind of go my own way. Yes, this will be the first time that I chose one of the questions. And when we made the decision to do this for the show was the week that, we, that I had to write this paper. And so what I'm finding now is I'm, I'm kind of choosing topics each week that I think would be good to address on the show as well, rather than just what I'm particularly interested in that you know, came up in our own study during that time. And so the reason why I chose a question this week is because I, I think it it both is exceedingly theological, but it is very practical, this question at the exact same time. And we th- this is from the Gospel of John. And the question I chose is, is this one. Identify the seven I am statements of Jesus. What spiritual truth did you discover from each of these statements? And how can that truth begin to influence your own faith, your own walk? And um, this goes us, this takes us back to, I think, something that is often lost in the West. We, we need to remember that for the first several years, really until post-Paul's conversion and 
then he spent a period of time, depending on, you know, how you read uh, the time period, anywhere from six months to three years, basically honing himself from a ministry perspective before he went full time now as the apostle of the Gentiles. So there is a, and for people that don't know what that means, Gentile means a non-Jewish person, all right? And, and the scriptures, the, the people are divided into either you're, in the, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. So the Gentiles are just all non-Jewish people, okay? The first several years of this thing called Christianity, and, and it wasn't called Christianity by its followers. It was, it was actually called the way, is what they called it. And sometimes it was called it was it was called Christianity almost in a mocking tone early on. And then the first time that they are formally referred to as Christians is in a place called Antioch. Antioch is where that formal title that they embrace on their own is given in the scriptures. That's in Syria or Turkey, yeah, I believe. Syria. Okay. Um, this is a uniquely Jewish argument. The Jews are the only people that care about it. The, Ro- the Romans don't care. The, the, the Gentile world largely doesn't care about this until because it doesn't really intersect yet with its vested interests. Rome only cares when it gets in the way of Rome's vested interests, but it, it has no other dog in the fight per se. It doesn't care. It, it doesn't care if if your Jewish family is divided over whether Yeshua of Nazareth with a questionable birth line from when he was born and when his parents got married and everything else, okay, whether this guy is the son of David or the Messiah or not is irrelevant. Outside of the the Jewish world, and really at the Jewish world because they'd already been dispersed in history, so really outside of the Jewish world here in Judea, like Jews in Alexandria are not debating Yeshua and is Yeshua the Naz- of Nazareth the Messiah yet. Not doing it yet. Okay. This is this is a uniquely Jewish argument in Judea. These are the only people that care about this, really, from, a, from the premise standpoint. Other people are maybe being made to care because it spills over into their neighborhoods or socioeconomic or geopolitical standing. You know, people like Pontius Pilate. But so they're being made to care, but it's circumstantial. It, it's it's not it's not personal. It's it's not relevant beyond, um, you know. Hey, this is in the news, and now it's in my neighborhood. What do you think? Or what are we gonna do about this? It's not it's not relevant on an intimate level. And you see the the uniquely Jewish debate surrounding the identity of this of this figure yeshua you see it in these i am statements and it begins by the use of the statement i am f- f- from from the beginning anyway to 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 denote yourself this one of the things people will say what you're going to find with christianity in the bible and i say this as a former scoffer and skeptic is that the vast majority of the criticisms have no merit. That's because most of their criticisms are ignorant and uninformed. There are legit criticisms and difficulties. We just discussed a few of them right before the end of the hour. Yeah. Why do bad things happen to good people? How do I actually live out? That was yours, right, Aaron? Yep. Okay. How do I actually live out this thing 
because if you're a Roman Catholic and you have a you have a, a ritualistic system and sacramental system that's supposed to constantly remind you the price of your faith that was paid at the cross and that and so the practical living it out all is is it, that rate's pretty high right in the in the Catholic experience and yet you're struggling with how do I actually live out this stuff that I believe right yes I'm struggling you know I'm 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 in can you imagine for those of us that are Christians doing political activism why eschatology could be problematic. Because doesn't that factor, shouldn't that factor into some of your strategy a little bit? Right? I mean, if you, if you, if you think there are two kingdoms, if you have the amillennial Augustinian view, a city of man and a city of God, and that they will simply co- coexist and co- coincide next to each other to some extent, like two magnets with, with, with dueling, D-U-E-L, polarities, fighting for gravitational dominance. But they will all. But they will largely coexist next to each other until the Lord returns to settle the account. Ultimately, you might have a certain. You might view your expectations to be well. Let's be reasonable here. There's always going to be weeds in the crops. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. There, there's going to be a certain level of, of I don't want to. I want to be as fair to all these views as I can. Maybe resignation's not the right word. How about acknowledgement? Is acknowledgement fair? A certain acknowledgement. That there's certain things this side of Eden we probably can't accomplish no matter how how hard we try. Is, is that fair? Yeah, you won't you you won't be prone to having utopian leanings. You, okay. You, yeah. All right. So if if I have that kind of an eschatological view, that would certainly impact the way I would see my political activism. I, I you know, the thing things like lesser of two evils mean something different to me than it might mean to somebody yeah. else. Is that fair? Yeah. If I have a if I have a, a premillennial view. And I, and I think no matter what we do, that ultimately history is heading to a, a cataclysmic conclusion. That, that no matter what we do, things are going to get demonstrably worse. It's just a matter of whether it happens in my lifetime or not. And if, and if I've read the signs of the times and think it will happen in my lifetime... Eat, I, drink, and be merry. Yeah, well, that's one option. I was just going to say that you might have that one option. I might, I might pull back then and think that, that what's the point in wasting my time in a pursuit that goes nowhere? Or I might be willing to make all kinds of compromises because I think time is running out and I'm trying to do the best I can with the time that I have. I, I could go to one of those two extremes. If I have this viewpoint that the church is triumphant ultimately in history, and that is what ushers in Christ's return, uh, you know, a post-millennial view. That will impact my eschatology as well, or my my activism as well. It 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 compelled Puritans to become pilgrims. It compelled Puritans to say, "Why sit here and continue being persecuted and fight for the purity of a church that I really don't think is legitimate anyway? When I can just go somewhere else, start all over again, and do this the right way, and get on a rickety boat and come to a place, you know, um, called uh, Plymouth Rock." All of those various viewpoints. I think uniquely, are, 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 all of those viewpoints have been have been dominant in the history of the Christian Church. And no matter where what your vocation is as a believer, it, your your faith can be impacted by which one of those you adhere to. But I think it can uniquely impact you if you're if you're politically engaged, because one of the things you're trying to do is either conserve or change the course of history, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, 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 if you have a particular view that is either very highbrow or very dim or somewhat meh, 
It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's going to have an impact on how you're going to do your political activism, what you think is achievable, whom you should align with, right? Yeah. And so that's what, that's since my, since activism is a, is my full-time job and has been for over a decade, um, that maybe gives you a further explanation as to why I'm so confounded by this subject. Because I, I also run into people that have all these various viewpoints and I've at various times in my career needed to align with all of them at once or one more than the other. And it can be frustrating. It can be frustrating dealing with folks who sincerely believe in an eschatology that essentially drives a car with the gas and brake pedal pushed at the same time. I used to, I used to kid my premillennial friends about that. You know, and then I would kid my post-millennial friends with, well, you guys think the church is triumphant in history, but like nobody's ever good enough to support. And so your, your, your Facebook avatar is just John Calvin every election. No <laughs> yeah. one's good enough. No one is. So yeah. the church triumphs, but yet no one is good enough. Does, I, that makes no sense to me. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't. But then with the amillennial view, you can, boy, you can fall right into, well, when in Rome, real quick. Need to be real careful with that. I think, this is a somewhat unfair criticism, but you did have a, a, the, the two, because Luther, Luther was an adherent of the two kingdom view, right? And so which country did he come from? Germany. Germany. Well, one of the things that is, is, is often discussed from a theological standpoint, because when you see demonic evil manifest itself on a systemic cultural level, it becomes, and, and, and it, it doesn't just become something we are aware of, but it becomes state certified, like we saw with the rise of Nazi Germany. Where was the Christian church at this time? Well, one of the things that's been debated some over the years and over the decades is, well, it was heavily infused with this two kingdom theology and it went too far and it just kind of decided, well, you know, we can, we can put an iron cross right next to the cross because that's the city of man and, and we're in the city of God. Now, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing ex post facto blame. I'm just saying that you, you get an idea of where, for me, because activism is my, is my calling, you can see why eschatology is a confounding topic to me. Because it, it certainly does impact your view of things. Make sense? Yeah. So it's not that there's not legitimate criticisms about Christianity. It's just in the Bible. It's just that the ones that are often uttered are terrible and easily debunked. One of the ones you'll hear is Jesus never claimed to be God. And that's just simply not true. Okay, in fact, here, and in, in, in one of the things I've said to folks who have said, well, wh why do you believe that Jesus was God? Why do you think that, you know, that's inherent to your Christian belief? Well, because there's several books of the Bible I have to essentially just make my own unilateral decision to ignore or banish to come to that conclusion. And the Gospel of John is one of them. And so when Jesus says seven times here in the Gospel of John, I am, th this is not just like, you know, these are his favorite articles and prepositions. Or he just wanted to, you know, how do I make, how, I got to diagram these sentences later and I just want to use the fewest words possible with the simplest terms um, because diagramming's hard. No, no, no. Th this is a phrase that is chosen purposefully. Because he's not talking in, in the real time. I mean, as, as God, he is talking for all time. 
okay? But as the person, what theologians call the hypostatic union, fully man and fully God. That's what that means. Fancy stained glass window term for fully man and fully God. But as the person Yeshua, he is speaking at this point specifically to a Jewish audience. And so he's using the phrase I am, not randomly, but repetitively for a purpose. Because they would understand what it is that he's claiming. He's making it abundantly clear. Because when Moses is called to the burning bush, when God first reveals himself to Moses, and God says, hey, you're going to be the deliverer, a deliverer of my people. And you're going to go back and tell them the deliverance they have waited 400 years for is nigh. And Moses says, hey, who, who am I? I mean, why would they believe me? First of all, you know, I was, grew up in, a, in Pharaoh's house, so there's already an aura of suspicion. And I've, fell in, I've fallen out of favor in Pharaoh's house. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, in no man's land. I'm, I've hung out with too many Egyptians for the Jews to like me, and I'm, I'm too Jewish for the Egyptians to trust me now. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> okay? And God says, so Moses is like, I'm not sure I'm going to walk in there with the highest amount of credibility at the moment. Okay? Uh, plus, I've been out here hanging with uh, you know my uh, uh, my pagan uh, my father-in-law Jethro and uh, and you know and 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 his family uh, for quite a while, and I've become a shepherd. And those people are kind of considered uh, you know the white trash here of the Fertile Crescent. So what 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 credibility do I just I can't just like walk in a room and it's going to be like I'm Norm on Cheers Norm, right? Unless you're going to walk back in, you know, and everybody's hey Moses. Welcome back. Where where you been? That's not going to be like that. So, you know, I'm I'm going to kind of need like a letterhead or a recommendation. I need a referral here. So when I walk back over, when I when I when I take the jaunt and I walk back in the room, you know, whom do I say sent me? Where, where's my authority come from? And God's response is, "Tell them I am sent you." That's why Jesus uses this term. So. You can not believe Jesus is God. You're welcome to that belief. But you can't believe that he didn't claim it. That just would be false. And that's an example of how a lot of the common arguments against Christianity and the scriptures are just dumb and terrible. Take it from me, I, I believed many of these until I opened the book and began studying it for myself. And then I realized, well, I'm, well, I'm not going to be I'm not going to. I'm not going to be given access to that argument. That one's not going to work. That one's not going to work. That one's really dumb. All right, so I'm going to have to come up with new ones. Okay. So when you want to bring arguments to us, we love them, but bring new ones, not ones that that are easily dismissed. You, you're going to have to take the entire Gospel of John and just decide to shred it, to not, to to not accept that Jesus claimed to be God. And here we're going to talk about seven times that he did this. And what these, what the applicational meaning, is applicational a word? It is now. It is now. Can, we, can you see, does anybody own applicational.com? Go on, GoDaddy. I, I kind of like that. See applicational. That's a, that's a great name. Isn't that kind of a hipster name for a, a Bible study podcast? Oh, we're, yeah. This is applicational. You're listening to applicational. 
You're gonna have to and work I'm here on your with beard my, and skinny my, with jeans. my latte. What's that? You're gonna have to work on your beard and skinny jeans for <laughs> yeah. this to work. And uh, after this latte, uh, part two of the applicational podcast, we'll be serving bourbon, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but there's an application to each of these divine references. What they, what, what does it mean? What's the character of God look like? He's gonna define it in these seven references. He's gonna first of all, he's gonna say, "I'm God." That's what he's saying. I'm God. I am God. I am God. Before Abraham was, I I am. I am. Eternal. Ever-present. Omniscient. Omnipresent. I am. I'm God. So he's going to declare himself God, but then he is then he's going to use these seven examples to to say, here's what the character of God is. He's going to reveal that. Okay? So here's the first one. And we're going to take these in order. I think I have them in order. First one, I am the bread of life. Now, what does this mean? Okay. Uh, First of all, bread was a common and necessary component of a first century diet. A lot of these people are poor. It was cheap to make. Uh, It's the type of carb that could both fill you up um, uh, so that uh, you would sustain your energy level. Like um, runners, marathon runners, swimmers, they don't keto. They don't, they don't do that. You go look at the diet Michael Phelps was eating when at the height of his Olympic career, an obscene amount of calories. And because carbs are necessary for, um, for an extended period of time, they're, they're what give the body energy. All right? So what Christ is saying here is that just as bread sustains and nourishes you physically and is readily available, every social class had bread, could make bread. It was available to all of them. Some of it was better than others. Some of it was was fresher than others and tastier and, and, and spiced better than others. But every socioeconomic class had access to bread. Every one of them did. No one was denied that. In fact, if you were a prisoner, when they would feed you, what was the most common food you would be fed, even as a prisoner in chains? You know what it was? Bread. Bread, the most common food, all right? So here Jesus is saying, I am readily available to sustain and nourish you spiritually as the most common food of your culture, bread does physically that i am the source of nourishment i i am the source of provision i am your sustenance is what he is saying that's that's the first that's the first way character trait of god that jesus chooses to affix to himself have any thoughts on on that gentlemen well and even in from a catholic understanding once you start Going in further into bread, even if you don't go all the way into uh, uh, transubstantiation, what does what does that nourishment look like? The breaking of the bread, the wine. This is my blood. Right. The, so it's about it's it's not it's not hippie Jesus. Right. It, there's it's about suffering, mm-hmm. and, and and that that is the gateway through many of the illusions of life. That is the gateway to the truth. Yeah, and that's I mean that 
obviously uh, fits in with uh, with with the character of of God as well. I mean, uh, I believe it's in yeah, I, I, Matthew eight. So uh, the order of priorities uh, here, you know, both both physical, the illusion here, uh, both physical and spiritual. I am your sustenance first and foremost, and. You see this all over scriptures, and I, the the example that I thought of is from Matthew eighteen. When your brother sins against you, don't go to the temple and offer sacrifice first. Go to your brother and make things right first. So that that first the the priority again is that you are sustained first and, and foremost on a human level and a, a spiritual level as well. And that's again that fits in I think with a lot of the character of of God. All right, the second one. This one is going to require a little bit more of an explanation. We're up against the clock. Because when when we hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world, that, this is why it's important to understand the historical context. And it's it's one of the reasons why when we, we do a Theology Thursday, I will often reset the point that this is a, this is really a uniquely Jewish argument, and we have just the, we in the Gentile world have been grafted into it, because this is a very specific reference that Jesus is making here. This is not a there is a metaphor metaphorical aspect to it, but it's 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 metaphorical in the direct reference that he is referring to here, uh, because he is attending at the time what is known as an illumination ceremony at the temple. And this, this was done during the Feast of Tabernacles. And in this ceremony, there was the lighting of the menorahs to remind the Jewish people of how God used the light from the pillar of fire to guide them out of the wilderness. And, I mean, if you see artist renderings and things of it, um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, you got to keep in mind, we don't have electricity here in the first century. So when it's dark, folks, that's why there was so much crime and everything else at, at night. Why you, a lot of times you wouldn't go out at night because when it was dark, it was dark. Like I didn't really know what dark was until I did a mission trip in Haiti six years or seven years ago. And that's kind of, I mean, it was like, this is like, it's dark here. I mean, like, <laughs> okay. So now imagine now the, the, the grandest structure in your community in the middle of that darkness is just, in the grand, in, in in the most magnificent way possible, is lit up. It would attract every eyeball. You could not miss it because it pierces, pierces the darkness. And that's what an illumination ceremony was. And that's what Jesus uses as a metaphor to refer to Himself. He is saying that he is the just as just as God used this pillar uh, to guide the Jewish people out of the wilderness and the darkness. He is the light that will guide the whole world into salvation and out of spiritual darkness. That he is the light of the world. We'll talk more about that here as we continue on Theology Thursday, looking at the Gospel of John from my own Bible study in a moment. Stay tuned.
According to Yahoo, the global superfood market is going to grow by 200 billion with a B over the next few years. Experts agree that eating superfoods is the easiest way to get nutrient dense foods. And the best part is it's all natural most of the time. The trick is finding a product with the best quality ingredients, no extracts, and that USDA seal. And that's why at our home, we trust Field of Greens from Brickhouse Nutrition. It's the only way I can get Noah to eat his vegetables by drinking them every single day. One scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables that can assist with immunity, reducing your risk of heart disease. It's prebiotic and probiotic, so great for your digestion, a great source of vitamins, minerals, fiber, other nutrients, etc. Just one scoop in a glass of water, stir it, and you are done. If you want to give it a shot. Noah drinks this, and he only eats like five foods. If, well, six if you count the chicken in the Taco Bell quesadilla as two. So, yeah, we're, we're, did you ever get to any of that? No, your kids are like runners and stuff. We're, I'm at that stage. I, he, he just turned 13, and I'm at ugly teenage boy stage. Uh, cheese puffs. Chicken quesadillas from Taco Bell, breakfast cereal. Did you ever get there, Aaron? Oh, my buddies and I used to drink, er, drink, uh, eat. Well, it was kind of like drinking. Eat uh, straight almond bark. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's eating like six foods right now. And pretty much the only one that's not, you know, ever bad for him is the field of grains that I can get him to drink every day. He likes this, all right? So go to BrickHouseSteve.com. Save 15% off of your first order with the offer code Steve. BrickHouseSteve.com. Use the offer code Steve for your order of Field of Greens. Get 15% off your first one with my name, Steve, as the promo code. Let us continue on with uh, Theology Thursday. And we're looking at what I wrote for my Bible study class at church this week on the Gospel of John. So we're looking at the the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. And he's using the phrase I am because he's letting you know that he is God. He is Emmanuel, God with us, that he's the one, all right? Um, and, and he's saying this very specifically to make it very plain of who he is. All right. Um, and we've talked about, uh, what I am the bread of life means. We left off at what I am the light of the world means that he says this while attending an illumination ceremony at the temple, uh, that was during the feast of feast of tabernacles. And this was a ceremony that was, uh, included the lighting of the menorahs to help remind the Jewish people of how God used the light from a pillar of fire to guide them out of the wilderness, out of the darkness and into the promised land. And Jesus is saying that he is the light that now will guide the world. Um, or those called to salvation, depending on your theology. That's a whole different topic, okay? But that that he will guide the world out of spiritual darkness and into the light. That's what he means when he says, I am, I am God. And and the next character trait of God is that um, I, I, I free the captives. I bring sight to the blind. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me out of the darkness and into the light. Do you guys have any thoughts on that before we move on to the next one? Uh, something very fundamental again there. Through, when you consider, through him, all things were made. Well, we're talking about the light. We go all the way back then. And you're we're supposed to have parallels between the Gospel of John and the creation account. Mm-hmm. And there you are. Let there be light. Mm-hmm. But it's not until uh, several days later where the sun and the moon were created to mark the fixed, fixed times. Right. So light is something, 
independent of the orb that is the sun. It is the first thing. It is the fundamental thing. And you can't help but ask that it is making a statement about Christ instantly when he said, let there be light. Yes. Yep. The, and that's what you just did in a way is summarize the Christology that Paul uses in Colossians that we did a Bible study with last year. That was the first time we did it. Well done. Number three, I am the door of the sheep. Now, Jesus is saying here that he protects his sheep from spiritual predators, false teaching, temptation, right? Lord, teach us how to pray, okay? And he, he, when the disciples ask him that, and he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, and one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer is what? Lead us not into temptation, okay? Um, false teaching, temptation, discouragement, etc. okay? Just as the door to the sheep's pen protected lambs from physical predators, he protects his sheep, his spiritual sheep, us, uh, his followers, from spiritual predators. So this is, a, this is something God also is now. All right, so God is sustenance, provision, right? God is the, is the source, the guide, okay? Um, God is our protector. Now, that's what he is saying here. I am the door um, of the sheep. That's what he's saying. And and by the way, what 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 also do you have to do? Um, you got to get through a door to get to those sheep. You got to get through him. When when Jesus encounters Paul in Antioch, or no, when he encounters Paul on the road to Damascus, I'm sorry, he says Paul or Saul. He was Saul still then. He says, "Why are you forsaking whom? Me." Because when you forsake believers, or when you persecute believers, you're really persecuting Jesus, because he is the door of the sheep. He's the shepherd here. Thoughts on that? Aaron? I don't, we got to be really, really careful about uh, drawing lines that aren't there, but it's funny that he brings this up as well, and you guys can shut me down if you think I'm wrong, but uh, who else was a protector of sheep that might have been, re- that was <clears throat> related to Jesus? That would have been uh, David, right? Yeah. So I don't want to draw lines that are there, but remember who Jesus's audience primarily was, and that's the reason. And same thing that Todd just talked about a little bit ago with the with the previous example. Uh, he uses analogies uh, and things that that audience would understand very, very, uh, very, in, at a very, very gut level. And so I think this might be another example of that. Although I don't want to be too too uh quick to draw lines that well and 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 moses spent some time in that particular vocation exactly as well yeah next jesus says i am the resurrection and the life okay so again this is another characteristic of god all right um god is everlasting so what he is saying is there is there if you are my followers so will you also be Death is not the final word for those who are in Christ. The last enemy, as Paul will later declare in one of his epistles, the last enemy is death. It has been defeated. Death, where is, where is your sting? That death is defeated. The, the, when sin was ushered into the world, what was the ultimate uh, result of sin? Death. Death. Okay. The wages of sin is what? Death. So um, instead, what Christ offers, what God offers is everlasting life. 
that death is not the final word for those who follow him. It's not to be feared. Any thoughts on that, Todd? Well, in an, it goes to what you said about the darkness before. We're talking about an era of most of human history where darkness and death came far more readily uh, in in life. You did not live until you were 80 years old. The ways and means you could die were often far more grisly. And this is the reason why the death of Kobe Bryant suddenly made people's lives suddenly pause. So we, we, have, we, we so push off the notion of death in our comfort. And even at the age of 47 years old, Steve and I, we don't like, it's something over there in many respects. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, for most of human history, it was not that way. To make that claim mm-hmm. that death had no hold on you, oh my goodness. That, I mean, that is the breath of life. You have any thoughts on that, Aaron? You want to move on to the next one? We can keep uh, chugging along. Okay. Number five, I am the good shepherd. Now, Jesus compares the way he looks after his church here to the paternal manner a shepherd tends to his flock. The shepherd will defend them from predators. We've already talked about that. Okay, he will seek out the sheep that have wandered off. So when one is lost, the shepherd, as Jesus points out in another gospel, leaves 99 behind to find the one lost sheep. So he will seek out the ones that have wandered off. He will wait for the sheep that are lingering behind. And he will provide for their basic necessities, uh, food, water, shelter. Um, in science, this actually is a science. It's known as animal husbandry is, is the name of this particular science, which is another reason, perhaps, you see the New Testament often compare the relationship between Christ and his church to a husband and his bride, okay? So this is what it means for him to be the good shepherd. He seeks after his sheep that are lost, he waits for those who are lingering behind. We see the, the father of the prodigal son goes and waits at the gate to the estate, waits every day for the son to return. All right. Uh, he provides those basic necessities we've already talked about, and he defends them from predators. This is a fairly holistic view of the character traits of God that Jesus is referring to here, Aaron. Yes, and... It is important still, though. I mean, this is this is something that we that we that we look at and we say, "Wow, uh, he leaves the ninety nine behind to go to go get the one." Um, but we're still the sheep. The yep. sheep aren't the sheep aren't thinking when the savior comes to get them. Uh, when the shepherd comes to think, "Well, who am I that your mind will love me and you leave ninety nine behind to come?" No, we're still we're still sheep, and yet he still loves us, even though we don't we don't. We don't even come close. Even if we do comprehend what's going on, we don't even come close to showing him the love that he is owed and due and uh, uh, deserving of. Even though, even though he comes and he leaves everybody else behind, and comes and and probably uh, you know uh, crawls over uh, rocks and to to get us out of the mire that we have 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 gotten ourselves into. It's important to understand that that is the the, the level that our savior uh loves us that uh that we're still sheep and the, the dumbest the mammals dumbest am- in the animals yeah. ever and yet he still leaves the, all the others behind to come get us i think that's that's interesting 
and this combined with going back to being the door, we're not, we're clearly, we're not free range creatures. When we are, we we will meet our doom. This yeah, is a problem. We, this yes. is when we are free range. We are eating from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. We are inventing reality for ourselves. We are meant to be penned in yep. by the love and wisdom of God. And you you know why? Because sheep are the dumbest mammals in the phylum. But and, and 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 that's what we are. That's why we need that. There's there's no evidence of that though, Todd anywhere no there's no evidence for the uh like the montage aaron played about an hour and a half ago for the for the stupidity of humanity and we're going to get to that in the overtime as well all right number six and this is the most controversial one all right i am the way the truth and the life jesus says next now one of the ways one of the common references culturally of the torah or or the old testament was the way of life or the way that was a common reference to that among the people. So what Jesus is declaring here, again, this is a uniquely Jewish argument and it's uniquely Jewish among Jews in Judea. No one else in the whole world is is having this debate yet. Just this one particular, um, you know, Jewish community is having it. And what Jesus is saying to them is um, uh, he is resetting of how John one opens in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created in him was life. And that life was the light of men. That's a, that's a, that a shorter version of all of that is John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus is basically saying, I am the Torah. I am, I'm the Bible. I'm the fulfillment of everything. I'm the law. I am the prophets. Um, I am, I am Proverbs. I am the Psalms. Um, I'm the fulfillment and embodiment of all that Moses said and wrote. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am, I am everything you have waited all of these years for. I am, I am it. I am the culmination, the manifestation of it. I'm what you've been waiting for. And what he says after that, is, is become is why this becomes so controversial. That's controversial in and of itself. But what he says after that is no one comes to the father except by me is what he says right after saying that. And that's where it becomes very controversial. Um, now the bad news for people who find that controversial is you won't have, a, you won't find a, there's one religion on the earth that doesn't claim it is the exclusive way to obtaining completeness of some kind. It's called the Baha'i faith and it tries to claim that everything is true which means it's actually the most offensive by alienating all of them at the same time now. Okay, but they they all, every everyone claims some form of exclusivity. Otherwise, what's the point of belonging? What, what, if you're not really sure Buddhism is the way, why the hell are you a Buddhist? Your, your religion's half-ass. That's your religion. I mean, if you don't believe Buddhism is it brings you wholeness and completeness, then why would you join that? Do you know why you would join that? I do not. Uh, no, no, there's not. Any, are there any good reasons why you would? No, if you don't believe in, in, you know, the, uh, if you don't believe in Hinduism, then why would you, why would you be a Hindu? You know, so this is not unique. The, the, the audience that Jesus is speaking to at this time is, is not offended by his exclusionary statement. That's not the part that's offending them. They're, they're offended by the fact that he says that exclusionary statement pertains to him, that he's that one. That's the argument to them. Okay, that's, they're not they don't they're not offended by the notion of exclusive exclusive truth. Their culture is the embodiment of it. 
their civilization is the is the is the is the ambassador for exclusionary truth. They're not offended by that. They're they're offended that he's claiming that he's that exclusionary truth. That's the debate. Our culture is different. Our culture is debating that there's even exclusionary truth at all. Okay, before we get to which exclusionary truth is actually true, we we don't want it, we don't even want to entertain that one. We just want to debate that there is no such thing as exclusionary truth, so that we don't even have to even have the even more uncomfortable conversation <laughs> later on. All right, and then the final one before we run out of time, Jesus says, "I am the true vine." And then these are verses in John 15. Jesus compares a relationship with him as that of a vine to a branch. That the vine is the source of an organism. The branches grow off of the vine, and as long as they remain firmly attached to the source, they will grow and eventually blossom. See that as produce fruit. But should those branches be snapped off, they can die, or should they lose a firm connection to the vine as they mature, they must be pruned for the health of the organism as a whole. Christ explains that firm connection comes from the way he lives through us, or what Paul later describes as Christ in me, the hope of glory, that he, he is that source that lives through us. Okay. For I am the vine, you are the branch. Those who remain in me will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Can't do anything on your own or what Paul or Todd was just saying about free, free ranging out there. Just kind of free roaming. I'm, I'm an open world. You know, I like open world gaming. I'm an open world Christian. I'm just kind of out there doing my own thing. Right. That's kind of what you were mm-hmm. talking about a minute ago. All right. We're going to run out of time. Okay, so I want to give you guys time to kind of share your final thoughts before we do. Who wants to go first? Uh, well, <laughs> Tamara's on you, Todd. To, <laughs> to, it's it's challenging enough to to uh, go after one, not to do pull a totality. This is basically what uh, why C.S. Lewis w- was uh, into the Lord Liar lunatic. Um, approach to talking about him, why he would not trade in any nonsense because because of these things. Jesus is telling his people from an early time exactly who he is and not in highbrow Harvard law ways, the ways that they understand the vine, the bread, the light. Again, that the, a culture immersed in darkness and death on a regular basis. They, it, it took some time because it was amazing, but he told them in a way that if you had eyes to see and ears to hear, you would understand. And that's a lesson for us all. That's why C.S. Lewis talked about Lord Liar Tunatic. Stop with your modern fictions. He is who he said he was. Or he's not, but he's yes. nothing in between. Yes. Yes. Aaron, you got about 30 seconds. The common thread throughout all all of these I am statements is that our God is a God of, of life. And that each of these, each of these points to points to the abolition of what sin did to our human condition, or at least salvation from what sin did to our human condition. Um, and that's that's a beautiful thing. It really is, just on its face. And that should give each one of us hope. Well, hopefully it wasn't too nerdy and it was somewhat applicational. We're going to stick around and do overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.